Khalashing for Khalas? Want to buy or fine dine? Stay tuned to Chai FM on 101.9. Join Adrian Bagatti for SN Fresen Tuesday mornings from 11 a.m. where it's all about the food. Good morning and welcome on this Tuesday morning. I am Adrian Bagatti, your host, and you're listening to the SN Fresen show on Chai FM 101.9. If you have any comments or suggestions, questions or topics that you think we should cover in the show, Please let us know via Telegram on 061-895-1019. You can send us an SMS on 34519. Your SMSs are charged at 1.50. Or send us an email to onair at chayafem. Coming up in today's show, I'm going to talk about three spices, cinnamon, cloves, and cosmary as we look into the different herbs and spices that we use every day in cooking, as well as covering three cooking terms. Well, today I'm doing four. These are terms we've seen in a hundred different recipes all over from books dating back to the 50s to the most current ones. And those terms are a dash, a pinch, a smidgen, and seasoning to taste which often confuse a lot of people. I will also be sharing a favorite childhood recipe and one of the only fish dishes that my children will actually eat, and that is my version of a kedgeri. So it's a haddock and pasta bake. And I've adjusted the term smidgen, which may be found in the original recipe. I've also got some news from around the world and the kosher food department and updates and health and safety updates, even though most of us are not traveling. So the first um, spice I'm going to talk about is cinnamon. Cinnamon is actually a bushy evergreen tree, okay? But the spice is comes from the bark of the tree. Cinnamon is native to Sri Lanka, and the spice, which is the dark inner bark, it's brown in color, and has a delicately fragrant aroma and a warm, sweet flavor, which is why it's often used in desserts. Cinnamon is used to flavor a variety of foods, from confections to curries to beverages, and it's very popular in bakery goods in many places. Most of us know it from babka. Cinnamon was actually once more valuable than gold. In Egypt, it was sought for embalming and religious practices. In medieval Europe, it was used for religious rites and as a flavoring. And later, it was the most profitable spice of the Dutch East India Company trade. It is also one of the commonly used spices in the Samim, which we use to end Shabbos and begin our week. The next spice that I am going to talk about is cloves. And this is a tropical evergreen tree. And its small reddish-brown flower buds are what is the spice that we use. It has a very strong aroma and is a hot, pungent taste. Cloves are used to flavor many foods, especially meats and bakery products. By the way, cloves are also used for a cure. It's for toothache. You can, if you can stand it, bite down on a clove. It will numb the area after it burns at first. Um, so clove oil is a very common one. Just put some on a um, head of a earbud and rub it on the painful tooth, and it should numb that area for you. 
Clove is also very near and dear to the hearts of the Jewish people, as along with cinnamon, it is the spice most commonly used for basamim in Havdalah. Now, Cosmary was one I've never heard of, but the truth is I have heard of it. And what I have heard, you will also know that you've heard of it. It's a herb with many different names. It's called ale cost and is used as a flavoring of ales and spiced wine. It also goes by the name of allspice. And even though it isn't actually the allspice bush, the reason it came with that name is because it may be a variation of the name ale spice. Or maybe its smell reminded somebody of the spice of allspice. It is sweet and is often um The name in America or in Maine, where it is most common, is called sweet tongue. And that refers to the taste and the shape of the leaves. Now, um, obviously, we can find allspice in South Africa. That's not a problem. But um, I have never seen the leaves found anywhere. Now, when you dry them and put them in the cupboard, they actually have like a minty smell. And they are used to prevent the silverfish in your cupboards. Silverfish are those shiny little silver um, insects that we often find around books and old papers. Once again, you're listening to Adrian Bugatti. This is the Essen Fresen show on Chai FM 101.9. If you have any comments, suggestions, questions, or topics you think we should cover in this show, please let us know. You can reach out on Telegram 061-895-1019. Or SMS us on 34519. SMSs will be charged at 1 Rand 50. You can also send us an email to onair at highfm.com. So I'm going to begin talking about the cooking terms. The first cooking term is a dash. Very common. How much is a dash? Well, a dash is actually one-eighth of a teaspoon. Somebody went and measured it. So what is a pinch? Well, a pinch is even smaller. A pinch is one-sixteenth of a teaspoon. And then a smidgen. Well, a smidgen is so small, it's not even worth talking about. It's about one-thirty-two of a teaspoon. I'm not sure how to even say that. But you might see it from time to time, and it's often used when you want that slight flavor at the back of your tongue so it shouldn't overpower the dish. One of the most common smidgens we use is nutmeg, and that's usually in a savory dish. So you will find old recipes for white sauce or bechamel sauce asking for a smidgen of nutmeg. Okay, Um, a lot of the recipes have upgraded that to be a pinch. So generally, these measurements happen with the fingers. We start adding a pinch of salt from a bowl, and you quickly get the hang of it. The next term we came across was seasoning to taste. This almost refer, always refers to salt and pepper, as it's exactly what it sounds like. It's up to you. So it's very common also with spicy foods, so curries, chilies, things like that. Now, if you like spicy, bring on the freshly ground black pepper. It adds a nice kick to any meal. But always start sparingly with salt and taste as you cook. You can add more at any time. 
but it's rather better to add a little less and let your guests add as much as they need for their flavor palette. Now, if you've used too much salt, there are some fixes to save the day, and I will cover those when we get back from the break. You are listening to Adrian Bugatti. This is the SN Freshens Show on High FM 101.9. Whether you are halishing for halas or wanting to braai or fine dine, this is SN Freshen with Adrian Bugatti. It's all about the food. Welcome back. I'm Adrian Bugatti, your host for today. You're listening to the SN Freshens Show this Tuesday morning on High FM 101.9. Once again, if you've got any comments, suggestions, questions or topics that you think we should cover in the show, please let us know via Telegram on 061-895-1019. You can send us an SMS on 34519. SMSs are charged at 150. Or send us an email on air at highfm.com. Right, what happens if you've added too much salt to your cooking? Well, I have some tips that will help you fix that. Here are my five favorites. One, make more. That's the most obvious. If you've put too much salt, increase the size of your recipe if you've got enough ingredients. You can double it or make it another half and mix it into the salty batch a little bit at a time until you reach the desired flavor. Simple. So in a big household like mine, that would probably go to be my first go-to is add stuff. Then second suggestion is bulk up your dish. Bulk up the dish with more of any quick cooking main ingredients that you have, such as vegetables. Um, you'll often be able to ha- put in things like celery. Um, if you've got greens, um, if it's a dish with a lot of liquid, a boiled potato works really, really well. Another tip is to add some starch. So stir in some cooked unsalted rice, some barley, some quinoa, some pasta, or some couscous. These salt-tasty ingredients will absorb quite a bit from the sauce. And depending on the dish, you can simmer or bake it with a splash of liquid to meld the flavors and allow the grains to absorb the excess salt. If it's soup, curry, or any other saucy dish, as I said before, you can always add large chunks of potato to soak up the excess and discard it once those are tender. Now, if you don't want rice or couscous or anything like that in the actual dish, my suggestion is to get um, a netting, a bag with fine netting. You can use brand new clean uncolored um, sort of knee highs or pantyhose or stocks that you can tie up um, with a band and you put the rice inside that, the elastic obviously in the new um, stocking is going to expand along with the rice and it will be able to keep it for you. And then you can just remove it as you need it. Number four seems obvious, but you need to be careful. Dilute your, dilute your dish with some liquid. With this option, you just want to be careful not to dilute all the hard-earned flavors as well as the salt. So don't go straight for water. Rather choose something like unsalted um, stock powder or some unsalted diced tomatoes. So chop up some fresh tomatoes in. You can even add some cream or some wine. Um, if it's a meaty dish, then you can add your oily whip. 
you can add, they make absolutely wonderful flavor enhancers and will cover up your mistake with the salt. Make sure that you are adding, though, something that actually goes with the dish. You don't want to put something in that's going to dilute the dish that you've been working so hard on. And number five, the last step, re-season, but obviously not with salt. So if you've got your salt um, sorted by adding liquid or other ingredients, you'll likely need to re-season your dish to make it taste better. Um, and you don't want to end up with a perfectly salted but otherwise underwhelming dish. So ground spices and fresh herbs can be added directly, but don't add things like onions, garlic, ginger, or whole spices, because these actually need to be cooked beforehand before you add them, and they do need to um, take time to, to absorb. So there's a trick called taka, which is from India, and aromatics such as onions, spices, and garlic need to be sautéed separately and only added to the dish at the last minute, and it adds an amazing amount of flavor to your dish. So above all, don't stress. If you've put in too much salt, here are your those were your five tips on how to fix it. But remember with salt to always be careful and to taste your food as you cook it and add throughout the cooking process. Pepper can be added to the end and so can chilies. But definitely your um, salt should be added during the cooking process. So you've been listening to Adrian Bugatti on the Essen Fresen show while I was talking about herbs and spices and cooking terms. If you have any comments, suggestions, questions, or topics that you think we should cover in the show, please let us know via Telegram on 061-895-1019. You can SMS us on 34519. SMSs are charged at 150. Or you can send us an email to onair at highfm.com. Today, the next part of the show, I'm going to be talking about the dreaded Pesach. Pesach is coming up, but I'm not talking recipes today. 30 years ago, we would have had a reason to stress about the availability of products. But today we have so much available. And we only have eight days where we can't have flour-based products such as pasta and bread. Ashkenazim don't have rice or legumes, which are beans, peas, and certain nuts as well as and certain nuts. Peanuts are considered kidney hot as well, and so once again, Ashkenazim generally don't eat this. But I want to talk about a stress-free, COVID-safe Seder. We've all been downgraded to level one, and I know people are going to want to have family and guests for the Seder. Truthfully, as with last year, we should not be having large Seders, but rather small, immediate, intimate family dinners only. But what if you are having family and guests for Seder? Even if it is family that you don't see, so your married sibling with all their children, they're not inside your bubble, inside your home, and therefore they come from outside sources. They're mixing with different people to the people you're mixing with, and this does raise the risk. So how are we going to go around this? Well, firstly, before I get started, I would like to thank 
Dr. Michael Setter for his help on this portion of the show. And also a big shout out to Professor Barry Shub, Professor Ryan Karma for their advice on, um, you know, general population issues to Dr. Anton Marburg and Dr. Is- Daniel Israel for their advice to the community with articles in the paper, with their media presence on the radio and on their YouTube video- videos and all over the place where they have helped us over the last 12 months learn all we could and keep ahead of the COVID outbreak. The sharing of their knowledge has been invaluable in the last 12 months. Right. So you're having say to guests. What do you do now? How do you keep it a safe environment? Well, there's some rules to follow, some advice from the doctors. The first thing is to set up family tables. If you're having, let's say, we're going to use the Shers, the Cohens, the Levies. Those are the families. Each family should be set up at their own table and at least three meters apart from the other tables. You want to create an individual bubble for that family. You want them to join your Seder, but you want to keep them safe as well as keeping your own family safe. The other thing, which for me is probably the hardest thing to get my head around, is using disposables for a Yantav or a Shabbos. Uh, The first time I ever saw that done was in Israel, um, and it took me a long time to get used to doing that um, when I'm having large crowds. Um, it, it just, for me, it just didn't make Yontav or Shabbos. But now, as a safety thing, you definitely do it. So disposable dishes, disposable cutlery, disposable cups, and if possible, disposable tablecloths that can all be discarded immediately after the meal by the family themselves in that bubble and put into a dustbin bag and taken out so that there's no contamination from across each person. The biggest rule, masks should be worn during the reading of the Haggadah and any singing. If you get up from the table, you put your mask on. If you are not eating, you put your mask on. So your masks should only be removed when drinking or eating. If it is warm enough and you have the space, possibly look at having your Seder outside in the garden or on a large balcony or veranda if you're in an apartment. With each family in their own bubble, They should also have their own Seder plate, their own matzah, their own wine or grape juice, as well as any drinks or water. So if you're able, try and buy the smaller sizes. If not, the two liters are fine, whichever drinks are available. Your guests should then take home with them any leftover drink in those bottles. You don't want them back in your fridge. So that's the main thing. Then, vassing. Vassing should be done in family units with each family having their own vassing cup. Please don't go out and buy new vassing cups. Plastic disposable cups can be used for this. And then paper towels to dry their hands. If you are going to use normal towels, these should immediately go into the laundry basket for for washing. And whoever does the laundry should be wearing gloves to put into the washing machine when it is appropriate to be washed. Although with uh, Pesach being on Saturday night, washing will probably only be done on on Tuesday. It's enough time for the virus to have died out on your linen. 
Now, it's important that you understand that we want to prevent as much cross-contamination as possible. So there is going to be quite a little bit of extra work for the hostess herself. And I'm going to discuss that when we get back from the break. So you are listening to Adrian Bugatti. This is the Essen Fresen Show. And if you have any suggestions, questions, topics that you think we should cover in the show, please let us know via Telegram on 061-895-1019. You can SMS us on 34519. SMSs are charged at 1 Rand 50. Or you can send us an email to onair at highfm.com. Whether you are halishing for halas or wanting to bry or fine dine, this is Essen Fresen with Adrian Bugatti. It's all about the food. Welcome back. This is Adrian Bugatti, and you are listening to the Essen Fresen show on Kaya FM 101.9. So I was talking about how to have a COVID-safe seder with the visitors. Now, how do you serve up? How do you, you know, make sure everybody gets the food that they want? Well, the first thing is that there should be only one person dishing up. Sadly, that's usually the hostess, so it's a little bit of extra work for her, but that's the person who should be doing it. This person should be wearing a mask at all times during dishing up, and if she chooses to wear gloves while she's dishing up, that would be good as well. Food is then dished up into disposable platters for each specific family. How this works is that each family is asked what they would like to eat and this is dished up for that specific table if it is finished and the family would like second helpings these should be dished up onto brand new platters and the old ones thrown away this way no one handles another family's food crockery cutlery or anything to do with it so everybody can have a seder together but still keep separate As I said before, leftovers are either taken home by your guests or disposed of immediately into the bin bags. Um, Sadly, that is a bit of a waste of food, but it is the safest option when choosing to have visitors for your Seder. And this is where meal planning comes in. Very important. Um, I will ask that they put this checklist up on the HiFM website If you would like it otherwise, um, please go over to my Facebook page, which is Kasher in Your Life, and I will have it there for people to download and share. Okay, so I created many years ago a Pesach Seder checklist, and here is how it works. The first thing you need to know is how many guests. That's very important because without knowing who it is, you won't know what you are having or how many, how much to make. And more now than ever with the three different tables, you are going to need to know a pretty close approximation. So the first thing you need to do is the matzah. So based on the Rakuzin's boxes, it's about a box of matzah for every two guests. Um, I like to have extra just in case. What you can do is you can keep those in the kitchen um, and if people need extra matzah, you open and they're already in individual plastic sealed bags, which does make it more hygienic, obviously, to do that. Then grape juice or wine works out to be a hundred, uh, it works out to be 1.750 mol. So one 
just oh, sorry, I apologize for that. It's a 750 ml bottle per person. Okay, that's how much it'll work out to be for everybody. So you can work out how many people at the table and then how much grape juice or wine you're going to need. Your cold drinks or beverages, on average, most people will have about 500 mils per person. So that's enough for two glasses to drink during your meal. Remember to put on your Seder plate your haroset, your shank bone or burnt chicken neck, your burnt and cracked egg, your crane, preferably the, well, you can choose the raw horseradish or the romaine lettuce leaves, whichever you choose to use, and then your parsley or boiled potato and salt water. Then to start your meal, remember your eggs and salt water. I work out about a half a boiled egg per person with a quarter cup of salt water. If you like the salt water, you can have more. This year, your Afikoman prizes do need to be a little bit more inventive because each person kind of needs to have their own and searching for the Afikoman will need to be done at each table and not running around the house or anything else like that. Now down to the actual meal. So the first thing is you need to decide on your starters. For those who are still doing large meals, fish. Um, so in my house, we only have two fish starters at the beginning of your meal um, and then a salad to go with that. And here is where you want to have like individual table salads and say you're having gefilte fish and you know the people who are coming absolutely love your gefilte fish, I would reckon on two pieces of gefilte fish per person because obviously you want them to have space for soup and still your main course and, of course, dessert. The next thing is salad. Um, obviously, we're going to not choose a salad with lots of lettuce in. I think by the time supper comes, nobody actually wants to eat any lettuce. But there are so many other options. Coleslaw is a good one. Um, and it's it can make a lot, which means you'd be able to then divide it onto your tables. Your soup, whichever soup you're starting with. Okay, most of us are going to probably start with chicken soup, but any soup that you want. Now, with a soup, you want to ladle about 125 to 200 moles maximum of soup per person. So that'll help you work out. If you do have cradle on first night on Yontav, then please make. Once again, depending on how much people like your cradle, you would work it out between one to two per person. You don't want to go up more than that because as you want to leave space for main course. Now, in my house, we have stopped the habit of offering two different options. We either have meat or we have chicken. We do not have both. But if that's the way you go, then please continue. Um, for us, we just did it because there was often so much left over at the end of the meal, especially if you're doing second night Seder where people are really already full from the first night and then from the lunch in the afternoon. Um, so it's better to have less, especially now when you're doing individual dishing up and you may land up having to throw away some of your food. Along with your meat or your chicken, you need one starch vegetable. And there is so much available as a starch vegetable. If you want one, you could have butternut, 
you could have gem squash, you can have potato, you can have sweet potato. There are enough starch vegetables available. And your two veg, vegetables, carrots, baby marrows, once again, gem squash, which, sorry, I put that under starch, but it's actually not a starch one. Um, patty pans, um, you know, there are a lot of vegetables that are available to have at this time of the year. If you can't have peas or beans, it's okay. And then obviously most of us would like another salad at our main meal. So you can either leave the first salad on the table if there is, and then just add the second one for other people. And then for dessert. So with my house, I choose two desserts. One is a sweet dessert and one is a fresh dessert. So we almost always have fruit salad and ice cream. It's become a staple. This year, um, well, last year it actually started as an accident, but we will do it probably again this year. It was ginger cake with a lemon sorbet on top. Um, It just made it as a nice refreshing meal. And then if you want something special, so dragon fruit is great, um, a little expensive and a little tasteless, but it just looks pretty on a plate. So I love putting that into the fruit salad just for something different. So instead of having a fruit salad, because that we tend to have leftovers of a lot, I would rather do a sliced fruit platter for your Seder table, for your, your Pesach table to keep it all going nice and fresh. So I hope that helps you with your meal planning and with your seders. Please remember that if you are having guests, so I mentioned the seder plate. Now, each person is going to need their own seder plate. So you can get disposable ones. Um, I have seen them available. I don't know what the price is. I will find out when I go get mine. Another thing is the charoset. You're going to need enough and in individuals, uh, bowls on each table. Um, you're going to need your three shank bones or three chicken necks for your, you know, or however many tables you have. Um, your burnt and cracked egg, once again, depending on how many tables, your horseradish or your romaine lettuce. Those are also dependent on how many tables or how many guests you are having. That is how we do it for Pesach. Um, I just wanted to go through so last week I had, or two weeks ago, I had on the show Lynn, uh, somebody who was talking. She has the Pesach, the Prep for Pesach group, and I thought I would just go and go through it. So Lindy Foreman is her Prep for Pesach group, which she gives, a, you know, sort of tips on how to get ready for Pesach early enough so that you're not going absolutely insane. So we, she usually starts about 10 weeks before Pesach. And this means we can buy our ingredients for Pesach, our stuff, a little bit at a time. We're getting closer and closer to Pesach, so that's not going to happen anytime soon. So let's go from there. Okay, so we started off, she started off with um, a review. So we're now talking using paper plates, plastic knives and forks, disposable air. So now it's the time to go out and buy those and make sure that you have any 
that you need. If you're not having guests, you need to just check that your cutlery and crockery are still intact, that you don't need new glasses or new plates or anything like that. Any appliances that you have for Pesach need to be checked to make sure that they're still working. And if you're like me with a gas stove, make sure your gas cylinder is full. Is full. Okay. Um, you can always also buy seasonal fruit now, wrap it up, put it in your freezer, and use it when the time comes to be made into ice creams and sauces. Okay. Then... February, she spoke about um, things that you'll need for the Pesach Seder, making sure that you've got your salt cellars, that you've got your matzo boards, uh, that you've got enough little bowls for the salt water and choroset. And once again, we're talking disposables for this year. Okay. Um, make sure that, you know, if you are going to be using new mops, new brushes or anything like that, Please replace those now, as well as if you're going to be using the same ones, you're going to want to try and have them as clean as possible and your um, vacuum bags and everything cleaned out nicely. Please check the condition of any extra time switches, extension cords, that you have enough uh, pin, uh, two-pin plugs, and remember to plan for load shedding just in case. Um and then obviously checking that your urn, your Pesach urn is working. The next thing she's mentioned in her thing is to be able to cover and um, control which rooms and stuff you are cleaning and to mark those down. Uh, when we get back, I will continue to talk about this next week. Um, I'm going to stop now and we will come back after the break with the kashrut updates from around the world, and I will share my recipe um, for my family favorite of my version of kedgeri. Whether you are chalashing for chalas or wanting to braai or fine dine, this is Essen Fressen with Adrian Bugatti. It's all about the food. Welcome back. You're listening to Adrian Bugatti. This is the Essen Fressen Show. If you have any comments, suggestions, questions, or topics you think we should cover in the show, please let us know via Telegram on 061-895-1019. You can SMS us on 34519. SMSs are charged at 150. Or send us an email to onair at highfem.com. I'm going to do a couple of kashrut updates from all around the world, even though most of us are not traveling, um, you know, there are people who are going to have to go to other countries or who have family in other countries. So obviously my first update would be from the South African Kashrut Alert, and this was published on the 4th of March. And that is Gabby's Earth Food Products and Kellogg's Cocoa Pop Moon and Stars. So the Gabby's Earth Foods yogurt dates, yogurt peanuts, and chocolate peanuts incorrectly bear the kosher logo. These are, however, not kosher certified and should not be used. The company apologizes for the error and has placed stickers over the kosher logo going forward. Kellogg's Cocoa Pops Moon and Stars incorrectly breeds the kosher logo. However, they are not kosher certified. Once again, the company apologizes for labeling an error and have covered the kosher logo with a sticker for all future stock that will be sent to the stores. 
There is some stock in the market that does not have a sticker covering the logo, but it should not be used. We're working with the company to possibly certify the product. Okay, and that shows you how little I go shopping. I did not know there was such a thing as Moon and Stars Cocoa Pops. There you go. Coming up from Jerusalem, kosher news from Jerusalem. There has been a concentration of kosher updates published by the chief rabbinate and the fraud department. That sounds a bit ominous. So kosher certification removed from Perihab Bustan in Moda'in region. The kosher certificate removed from Hamuzai Ahud from Khamerar. The kashrut certificate has been removed from the business of Humus Paul Shemen, Zeit, and that's in Kfar Saba. The kashrut certification has been removed from the Toret Haaretz Catering Deli and Restaurant in Netanya. Kosher counterfeit wax citrus for fruits imported by a company called Depocham Amgal Azat Bier Tuvia and produced by the Citra Coal Spain company without the signature of a supervisor. So that is okay. Then kosher counterfeit top brand peeled fruits that are not produced in the top fruit factory in Baka Olga So apparently you can buy your peeled fruit and it needs a hexa. Kosher fake in the religion holders, peach fuse flavor tea from the Coca-Cola factory in Georgia. And for public information, holiday hotel, an event on the CL Yam uh, in Natanya is not under supervision of the Natanya Rabbinate. So please note the following the corona period. It is advisable to talk to the supervisor before each purchase as there are many certificates that are not valid. Now updates from the USA and Canada. And that is Wilton Brands have issued an allergy alert on undeclared milk in seven sprinkle pot uh, products. That is Tasty Coffee Cookie Kit, the Holiday Mix Sprinkles, Holiday Home Assorted Treat Toppings, Rainbow Chip Crunchy Sprinkles, uh, the Valentine Chip Crunch Sprinkles, and then Assorted Treat Topping Sprinkles, and Rainbow Chip Crunch Sprinkles. Those are all from Wilton's. Hue Products, H-U, have announced a nationwide voluntary recall in the U.S. for a single product life called Hue Chocolate Covered Hunks, Sour Golden Berries. And that is because some of the products contain, in, uh, packages contain undeclared almonds and somehow they got in. We're going to end the show today. I hope this was helpful. Um, one thing for New York people with effective immediately exclusive glut supermarket is no longer under VHQ supervision. And this is because the store has been sold and therefore no longer kosher. So VHQ is VAD of Queens. Once again, if you have any suggestions, comments, questions, or topics you think we should cover in the show, please let us know via Telegram on 061-895-1019. You can send us an SMS on 34519. SMSs are charged at 1 Rand 50 or send us an email on air at highfm.com. Thank you for listening. I am Adrian Bogarty, and we will chat next week.